You're listening to I Have Some Notes, a podcast supported by listeners like you. To contribute, visit patreon.com slash I Have Some Notes. Hey, Greg, I have a pitch for an action movie set on a train starring Brad Pitt. Awesome. Tell me more. Sure. I have the whole thing written out, um, written out somewhere. Where'd my pitch go? I just had it in my pocket. (laughs) I have the pitch for the train-based Brad Pitt action romp you're looking for. I snagged it earlier. It's right here in my briefcase. Wait. No, the briefcase, it's empty. Who has the pitch? You fools, I've had the pit train flick pitch all along. Now, if you'll excuse me, this is my... Stop. Just stop. Look, if we're going to have nonsense change hands for two hours, then I have some notes. Welcome to I Have Some Notes, the movie podcast with cuts, keeps, punch-ups, and tweaks on mediocre movies. I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. And I'm Greg Beaver. And today we are discussing Bullet Train. Choo-choo. <laughs> Bullet <laughs> did, Train. Did they go choo-choo? I, in, in my head canon, yes, there was a choo-choo <laughs> sound the whole time. But obviously it's a Japanese bullet train, probably runs on solar panels. Um, <laughs> Uh, Speaking of running on things right off the top, we need to thank our new Patreons. We launched a Patreon recently, uh, and uh, we got to recognize the people who have uh, come to support us. So thank you to our new patrons, uh, Robin of Cinematological, Sharon, Amanda, and Josh. Thank you to everyone who uh, has hit us up on Patreon, and I encourage you, listener, if you have not, uh, please uh, visit our Patreon, support us. Uh, It's how we're going to continue to produce this show uh, after our dear, dear friend, the Alberta Podcast Network, has closed its doors. Um, But uh, when a door closes, a window opens or something like that, and uh, we've also opened up a Discord, uh, so I hope you will join us, uh, patron or not, over on our Discord server where we're talking movies, we're swapping notes. Uh, the link to that is on the link tree on all of our social medias. But that's the business off the top out of the way. How you guys doing on this bullet train day? <laughs> it's, it's hot. Yeah. Yeah. It's unseasonably hot. hot. Mm-hmm. I know everybody tunes into I have some notes to hear us talk about the weather, but the weather uh, on the day we recorded. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I mean, it's it's early May and it's already feeling like mid-August and I mean, that bodes well, especially when we've had no rain and wildfires are raging out of control. (laughs) Oh, it's a good time to be on Earth. (laughs) Super good. Uh, Speaking of being on Earth, I got to ask right off the top, have you guys ever taken a train? Like, what what is our collective experience riding trains? Uh, I have taken the local mass transit train. I have taken the train at Fort Edmonton Park that goes around the park. Mm, I have choo choo. <laughs> I have taken the trolley across the high level bridge. But uh as for like a real actual honest to god train trip, no, I have not. Though I would love to. I think it would be wonderful. Uh having I have taken the Vio Rail train into uh British Columbia on two separate occasions. Uh once to Kamloops, once to Vancouver. The ride from Edmonton to Vancouver on the Via Rail train is truly one of the most breathtaking and exciting experiences you you, we woke up in deep deep in the mountains and like sunlight creeping in it is it was truly really wonderful uh however i must say the ride from vancouver back to edmonton uh sucked (laughs) because (laughs) if you don't know via rail shares their rails with like other freight rail people rail cn probably um and they have to like get out of the way. And so there's a whole bunch of like side train tracks that passenger cars basically have to like pull over, wait for the business trains to go by and then pull back in and keep keep on the journey. Uh, and so the ride back from Vancouver to Edmonton, we were stuck in Hinton for like two hours 
just like looking at the Hinton landscape. It added, it almost doubled the length of the trip. Uh, we were there for like two or three hours. Um, I know it's not double, but you get, it just, it was a pain in the ass and the car started to smell because people have been in there for like hours at a time. Uh, it was a real drag. So I honestly don't think I will ever take a VRL train again. <laughs> uh, uh, I've Greg? heard, oh, sorry. I've, I've heard that, um, traveling via train across Europe is quite lovely. Oh, got it. Gotta right. believe that. Yeah, it is. I, I, I took a, uh, trip by myself to Europe in uh, in around 2007 and uh, had a Eurail pass and rode many a trains down through up into Scotland and actually no I bust into Scotland it was in France down to Italy and uh, in Greece and all sorts of stuff so yeah got to see a lot of uh, cool trains uh, but bearing the lead a little bit I've also been on a bullet train in Japan. Uh, much like in this featured in this movie. Um, I've also been on um, a kind of uh, old rustic uh, tourist train in near uh, Mount Fuji that winds itself through uh, mountain foliage. And it was mm. it's the, the most gorgeous like ride that I've ever had on anything ever. It, it's like living through a Ghibli movie. It was just amazing. <laughs> so if you get to Japan, I, if you ever get to Japan, I highly, highly recommend that. Uh, sweet. Yeah. Cause it's definitely got me thinking <laughs> I, about trains really that the, the two things, you know, about this movie bullet train going into it, just at looking at the posters, any of the marketing it's set on a train and it stars Brad Pitt. We've <laughs> discussed some of the meta textuality of trains. Any, any thoughts on the meta textuality of Brad Pitt? Well, <laughs> so like I don't know what your experiences was watching this movie, but like I like I'm watching it and I'm like I'm I, I'm really digging it. I like it's a romp. Uh, there's like you know there's fun quirky characters and interesting mystery and how it's all connected and uh, some decent fight choreography and it gets like about halfway through and I'm thinking. How the hell is this only 54% on Rotten Tomatoes amongst critics? Then I look over at my wife, Erin, and she is not having it at all. And suddenly it starts to make a little bit of sense. So for those of you who don't know, um, last year it was reported that Brad Pitt was credibly accused of domestic abuse. Um, it's not something I'll go into detail, but suffice it to say that um, the reports are serious and uh, extremely disgusting. Uh, so considering that Brad Pitt's character, he's like this reluctantly violent criminal whose comedic bit is babbling but calming Zen philosophy, it really just like really butts up against like the af- uh, the actor's off-screen issues. Uh-huh. And like, I'm, like everybody, you know, how pe- public Adam, no, sorry, how problematic artists are handled can vary wildly from person to person and situation mm-hmm. to situation. And it's like a deeply personal thing. And I personally try not to judge anyone for how and when they choose to enjoy media under less than ideal ex- circumstances. But if that's the reason why so many critics couldn't stomach this movie, like I, I totally get that. Like, yeah, I think that's valid. Yeah. <laughs> Like, you know, it's, it's one, it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, it's either, you're either going to be able to move past it or you're not. And uh-huh. for, for Aaron just was not able to at all. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. That the whole concept of separating the art from the artist, uh, is, is a tricky one. I guess in this case, I found I was really able to do it quite easily because I had no idea that Brad Pitt was in such trouble. I heard about Johnny Depp. Uh, all the other uh, creeps and stuff, but I truly, I like until more or less today, I somehow was completely ignorant of this situation. Um, and I, I feel like it might've colored how I watched this film as well. Um, but I, I truly don't know how this like news slipped past me, but I, I had no idea. Um, I, so. I, I think it was all, I think it was always kind of like a little under the radar and then who knows, maybe it's because um, Johnny Depp's thing was, you know, uh, so prominent in the news over the last well, also, year that maybe just buried some other things. 
Well, not only that, with Johnny Depp, he is a lot more, and this is without, this is not a commentary on Brad Pitt's career. He's been a lot more visible over the last few years. He's been in a lot of uh, much larger franchise projects and the like. So when that news broke, he was more in the cultural zeitgeist than Brad Pitt is because Brad Pitt's like, he's a big movie star, but he's also been like in the background for a bit. He hasn't had like a big thing. He hasn't been in like a Marvel movie or a, uh, in the case of Johnny Depp, like a major wizard franchise. So like, I can see why that kind of was a little in the background, whereas Johnny Depp's was kind of up in everyone's face. So. Yeah, that's, that's fair. So yeah, uh, yeah so I'm glad we, we uh, covered that. So, and obviously I, I generally think we're all pretty positive about bullet train as a movie. Um, but if you have any uh, icky feelings about watching a Brad Pitt movie, uh, you're probably okay to skip this one. You're you're not missing much, but also it was a great movie, and I really liked it. <laughs> but also, you're not missing much. You can totally skip it, and you will not. <laughs> you're not yeah, missing. It's, it, I wouldn't call it like a, a must watch or anything like that. But yeah. uh, you know, generally, the very well made movie with uh, a lot of nice setups and payoffs, and um, you know, again, like a lot of. Um, fun performances from everyone involved and yeah yeah it's it's uh it's it was just baffling to me why it was is so low on rotten tomatoes and i i saw like a lot of people who maybe didn't know uh, Brad Pitt's history who were also down on it which kind of surprised me a little bit but mm-hmm. yeah it's it's just not uh, for some reason it's divisive and it to me it feels like um it shouldn't be aside from the the bad stuff you know so i don't know yeah of course, Bullet Train came out in 2022, directed by David Leach, written by Zach Alkiewicz, based on the novel by uh, Kotaro Isaka, um, of the same name. Uh, Bullet Actually, Train, not- uh, it was originally called Maria Beetle, but it, when it was translated, it was translated into Bullet Train. Oh, the English ah, version is called Bullet Train, though, so. Dig it. Uh, the cast, of course, uh, Brad Pitt uh, as Ladybug, Joey King as Prince, Aaron Taylor Johnson as Tangerine. I almost said Anya Taylor Joy. Uh, <laughs> She's been in a lot of our episodes lately. So. Yeah. <laughs> ATJ, uh, uh, also BTH, Brian Tyree Henry, uh, Andrew Koji, Hiroyuki Sonata as the Elder, Michael Shannon as White Death, and Sandra Bullock shows up at the end. Also, I mean, she's she's there as a voice for most of the she's movie. She's a voice, as well. yeah, yeah, yeah. This was a. Uh, this is a fun one. This uh, <laughs> I, I had a good time watching this. So did so did Amanda. Perhaps because we are ignorant of. <laughs> yeah, we we sat down to watch the movie, and for the first twenty minutes, Nita and I were kind of staring at the screen, having this story begin to wash over us. And at one point, Nita looked at me from the couch, and she was like, "Have I lost the plot? Like, did I miss something?" And I'm like, "Nope, you have not." And then, like thirty minutes in, it all kind of like clicked, and Anita looked back at me and said. Oh no, I think I'm really liking this movie. <laughs> <laughs> we had a few Twitter commenters uh, and just people chatting in our, in our Discord uh, about how they like got 30 minutes in and had to quit. And it really does kind of like, it's a little cringy and uneasy and weird and like a little too pop, like poppy and stylish and thinks it's very cool. Um, but once it gets going, it you're like, okay, actually, this is pretty. I see what you guys are doing here, and it's pretty fun. It's like like a titular bullet train. It eases out of the station, and then it picks up speed. <laughs> yeah. I honestly, w- w- it, within the first five minutes, I thought I was in trouble because um, there's a very serious scene that leads off the movie, and then it kind of just like hard cuts into... Um, some boisterous needle drop. I forget what it was exactly. It was like a, a 70s tune. Um, I believe it is actually a Japanese cover of uh, Staying Alive or... Um, anyway, sorry. I mean, just do... Yeah, no, thing, that, yeah. that's good. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was just like, it was kind of like a, a little bit of a tonal warp all of a sudden. And I, and I like, it just didn't feel like it fit. So I was like, uh-oh. Um, but... You know, it recovered very quickly after that, and uh, I didn't. Uh, I didn't really have a lot of problems up until about the climax when things get a little cartoony, um, and that's yeah. where things may have dropped off a little bit for me. But overall, I was having a pretty good time, and I was I- enjoying the the various twists and turns. You can definitely see the manga and anime inspiration uh, in this story. 
by about yeah. halfway through it. It really starts to wear it on its sleeve. And it's like, okay, we're watching a live action, like manga comic right now. And, mm-hmm. and when, when I made that switch in my brain, the rest of the movie was very enjoyable. And it, in, in retrospect, it also made the stuff that I had seen before also make sense at that point where I was like, okay, I get what the intro was about now. Yeah. Yeah. It, it has that like very, frenetic style very over the top like po- you know poses and pauses and yeah yeah let's uh let's hit the plot summary because uh, i want to get uh, deeper into to what makes this thing tick mix the trains run on time talk to me i am ready you're getting the new and improved me because if you put peace out in the world you get peace back I think you might be forgetting what you do for a living. Take the gun. Every job I do, somebody dies. I'm not that guy anymore. Some conflicts require a gun. Okay, what am I snatching and or grabbing? A briefcase. You said you wanted simple for your first job back. Doesn't get simpler. You stab me? We'll ruin your life the way you ruin mine. Dude, I don't even know you. There's nothing simple about this job. Something else going on here. Yeah, I'm not the only one on this train looking for this case. Evan, hmm. where's the briefcase? Oh, it's not shit. It was just there. We are right on schedule. Everything that's ever happened to you. This is gonna sting, bitch! <laughs> Has led you here. Fate. Are you a pair of bickering twin assassins on the job protecting a Russian mobster's money and his wayward son? Climb aboard the bullet train. Are you a laid-back thief with no manner of luck looking for an easy score? The bullet train might just be your jam. Maybe you're a deadbeat father on a mission of vengeance seeking a malicious perpetrator of child violence. The bullet train is your port of call. Of course, you could be the perpetrator of said child violence, setting an elaborate mousetrap for your mobster father, in which case the bullet train is definitely for you. Ah, hell, you could be the big bad Russian himself. Where's the place to be? Right here on the bullet train. (laughs) Yeah, uh, a lot going on in this movie. It there's so much going on, and I, I the revelation I had after watching it, um, I, I, some YouTube video I was watching recently made the distinction between the plot of a movie and what it's about. Ah, yes, right? you've been watching some Patrick H. Some Willems. Patrick, as I said, it came out of my mouth. I was like, oh, that's where I heard it from. But it was mostly just rattling around in my head. This idea of like the plot of a movie versus like, what are the themes? What are the ideas in mm-hmm. this movie for better or for worse? And I mostly think for better, but goes 100% in on plot and is about very little, if anything. <laughs> but it is jam packed with plot points, characters, details about those characters, plot moving for it is 100% plot. Um, it's, it's almost like the opposite of tar. <laughs> which is just a movie about tone really yeah which is just about like there's not a lot of things happen but it's about oh so much um so this is this is the in this is the bizarro tar where it is only plot no themes yeah i mean i guess if you're gonna reduce it to its to its you know it's very much finer points it's mostly about family and family relationships right whether it's the 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 twins who are who are teased as not twins but they turn out to be twins uh whether it's um the relationship between uh prince and uh the white death or um the relationship between Kimura and the elder all that stuff right like it, and of course the Kimura and his son so there's lots and lots of stuff uh familiar stuff going on Yes, yeah, but it's like it's not re- you don't really get an insight about family the way hell I mean, Fast and the Furious has more to say about what it means to be a family than this does. It's all just because <laughs> um, they talk a lot about fate and luck and right? good luck and yeah. bad luck as well. Yeah. But it, I truly think that is just to hold together what this movie is setting out to do, which is have a bunch of details 
interwoven, interlocking, moving in and out of each other in a clever way, motivations, MacGuffins. It, it really reminded me of like one of those pictures, those illustrations where it's like a big illustration with lots of little details and it's all interacting with each other in different ways. Like you'd see it in like a mad magazine or just like a really slick piece of commissioned magazine art um, or like a, a really detailed like gif. You know what I'm talking about? Like just, yeah. Yeah. We're like each little detail in the picture is interacting with some other detail and your eyes get like almost like where's Waldo? Like you get to spend a lot of time looking yeah. at all the ways the little pieces click together. And that's that's it. It's just kind of showing off this narrative trick of weaving together so much plot. Yeah, this movie has a lot of moving parts that do all dovetail together because it, it starts out as a seeming mishmash of different intersecting agendas and plots. And you're like, how can this all possibly make sense together? And by the end, you're like, oh, it actually all makes sense together. Like it yeah. comes together in a very satisfying way. Uh, apparently it's also very uh, true to the novel. Uh, and the the author of the novel actually quite liked the result of the movie. Apparently he gave it a big thumbs up. Uh, the novel itself, all the characters are Japanese, and he was A-OK with them kind of westernizing the plot a bit and making it a more diverse cast. But uh, other than that, like plot point wise, the movie's very close to the book with a few major changes here and there. And he was like, it's it's a good adaptation. So, yeah, I mean, I I I, I like, you know, be watching a movie where I'm where I'm confident that everything that they're setting up is going to be paid off in some way, uh-huh. you know, like, yeah, they, like once you get about halfway through you're you're and you're getting a bunch of reveals and things like that, you're, you sort of get into this mindset, like, yes, they're, they know what they're doing. This is going to come around towards the end. Yeah. They set up a lot of dominoes at the beginning of this movie, which is why I think a lot of people check out in that first 20, 30 minutes, because they're still setting up dominoes. And then the first domino falls and it all starts coming together it's That's it's really well el- well structured yeah. an elaborate domino is another good analogy for this where it's it's again not about anything but it's gonna look real slick and be be fun to watch yeah the setups the payoffs um and raising the stakes i love how just every every opportunity the stakes got raised in such a fun and entertaining way the snake i bought the snake mm-hmm. i bought the sleeping powder like it just yeah yeah um, because of course, Ladybug has famously bad luck. And so every time he interjects himself into someone else's plot, it results in that plot going off the rails. He's the metaphorical spanner in the works the whole time. Um, he's not even, he's, he's Dante from clerks. He's not even supposed to be there today. Like <laughs> <laughs> That's a big fun reveal as well. That was, Yeah. That he he and not because Ryan Reynolds showed up, just the fact that you're like, oh, he literally was this was all an elaborate plan. Everything was supposed to be where it was supposed to be. And a different guy showed up. And that's why it all goes on. Yeah. Yeah. And I I kind of I kind of enjoy how like how often my expectations were subverted. Like you figure that the son of the mobster is going to uh factor into the movie pretty heavily throughout and he's dead <laughs> within within minutes you know like the the you get you get this long cool reveal of of the uh the mexican assassin going into <laughs> you know his life's history and how he met his wife and what happened at their wedding and stuff like that uh and then he also immediately dies you know and it's just like it, it just kept it just kept playing with my expectations over and over again that was definitely keeping me entertained yeah that was a nice touch did they do it three times where they give you an elaborate backstory of a character just to watch them die immediately did they uh, do it twice sort of with Zaze beats i guess right um with with the i mean she doesn't get a backstory but she's uh she's teased a bunch of times as the poisoner mm-hmm. uh and then and then she also she doesn't last very long once once uh she shows up on the train Although I guess she's been on the she's been on the train the entire time because she's been on she's well, those, the person yeah, those in the are costume. The two I'm saying is the 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 Mexican guy and then the lady in the costume. Is there a third fabulous assassin who 
gets teed up and and then killed immediately. Nope. Those are the only two. I'm going to put a fix in here in the first half. <laughs> Rule of three. Comedy comes in threes. <laughs> well, I was a, waiting for that to happen a third time. There's a missing assassin from the book that you could slide in. There you go. Okay. Because in the book, the Hornet isn't a solo assassin. The Hornet is actually a duo. And the other person who's the Hornet is the train conductor, mm. played by Hero from Heroes, who's in the movie, but then there's no reveal that he's also the Hornet. Um, so you could have you could have had him also be there the whole time and then yeah, have a reveal and then also quickly get off. I, I wonder if that's something that got cut for time because it's possible. they do they do spend some time setting up a relationship between him and Ladybug. Um, that that never pays he's off. Out, he's, he's out to get him. And yeah, that's one thing that doesn't really pay off in the movie. I, I disagree that it doesn't pay off. I liked it as this, this extra tangent. There's all these interweaving stories and then he's very... Every time he bumps into the conductor, it's this weird, petty squabble in and amongst all like the stakes are so high. This like there's a snake running around, the train's going fast. And then also, if he sees the conductor, it's going to be awkward was just a fun extra like side silly stake. So yeah. I I disagree that it didn't pay off. There's but. there's this super low stake conflict going <laughs> on amidst yeah. this life or death struggle. Yeah, yeah I love that detail. So. <laughs> it, it was it was a very funny thing to keep in, even if they didn't keep that he was also one of the assassins. Yes. Anything that didn't work for you? I guess well, obviously we Brad Pitt didn't work for Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> no, and like and honestly, like in some ways, he didn't work for me. Uh, um, just uh, like again, like separating the art from the artist. Just like just the the character himself um, with his sort of like brainless mumbling about you know f- sort of Zen philosophy and so, like I don't know. Like I think I, it felt like the movie thought that was funnier than it was. Um, it didn't. It didn't bug me, but it also didn't like I, I like I didn't I didn't feel the same way about uh, Brad Pitt's character on screen as I did as, as everyone else. I was quite enjoying everyone else more than what Brad Pitt was doing and what he was being given. Um, Fair enough. That could I, be partly I, I, because Brad Pitt's delivery was very like laid back and low energy compared to a lot of the other characters who are very keyed up. Mm-hmm. And, and that's yeah. fine. Like that's you know that's good contrast to have, and it like it serves the type of sort of reluctantly violent kind of character that he is. It's just like I I don't know. I, I just think um, there was something about uh, the way that he kept going. You know, kept talking to people about trying trying to be like calm and and whatever just wasn't working for me. Yeah, I had a, I had a similar experience, and I, I think Scott nailed it when it's. He's playing it fairly straight. His funny material isn't that funny, and his non-funny material is played pretty straight and muted in and amongst all of these heightened characters with big personalities, big colors, big traits that are also being played very big and broad, like the actors are really making big choices. Um, And then so the fact that he's kind of playing it down here and he's Brad Pitt, where other than maybe, you know, they're not nobodies, but like. He doesn't get lost in the role. All the other people, you only see the character. Whereas Brad Pitt, you see Brad Pitt. And you're just yeah, like, kinda. It, it It just kind of sticks out and it doesn't really jive. Um, it was distracting is how I described it. He was, I found his presence distracting from That's the fair. overall manga style, really heightened, silly manga style that this was going for. Yeah. I, I know we don't usually do this, but like, who would who would you replace? Oh, we're, Brad Pitt. We're getting with? into my fixes. <laughs> yeah, I was say, maybe let's go to fixes now because my fixes are we just, it, no Brad Pitt. This movie. Works okay, well, before, just, right, right before we do that, I just want to talk about the ending a little bit because it is what sure. it is one of the major uh, things for me that actually did not work. And now I realize that it's called Bullet Train, and at some point the train's got to crash, but like. I don't know. Like it got it got a little bit too cartoony, and and you know Scott was talking about um, how th- had this real manga feel to it. It kind of like got away from that too, and started to feel like a sloppy CGI blockbuster a little bit. Uh, and I was a little less happy with the 
oh, with the big, you know, climax a little bit. Yeah, you don't say this often, but the movie takes it downhill when Michael Shannon shows up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> rarely, rarely will we say that about Michael Shannon, but yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't mind. I don't mind Michael Shannon showing up. I don't mind the train crash. I feel like the plot is careening out of control at that point in an interesting way in a, in a way that the train is actually physically careening out of control at that point. And I kind of liked that, but maybe that's just me. I don't know. I, I didn't mind the way it came together, even if it was a little cartoony in the end, because at that <laughs> point I'd already bought into it being a bit of a cartoony movie. So yeah, yeah it just, it seemed like the stakes, there was such a fun, like specificity of stake escalation that having this big fight between two old guys who are longtime rivals and crime boss masters and martial arts masters. It, it just, it, yeah. Like it, it one step too far. It kind of, it, it just, yeah. I'm, yeah. I disagree because the whole story is building up to the white death. Like that's, that's yes. he, he needs to be on stage in the final act because oh. he's been, it's all been set in motion oh, for from sure. the beginning. Right. So I guess, I guess I, I don't disagree, but I guess when we get to that point, it starts to feel the movie starts having less of a capable grip on it. Like how Greg was saying, like the whole time you're watching it, like, Oh, I'm confident the setups and the payoffs are going to work. I'm confident the people making this know what they're doing. And you start to see them like the collective filmmaking process, start to sweat a little bit (laughs) in the final act. Some of the plates, he, um, Ooh, that plate almost fell in your plate spinning act there, pal. (laughs) Um, David Leach and Brad Pitt. (laughs) Um, that that's how I describe the climax. Is it's like, ooh, you guys, you guys almost get safe. You, you didn't almost didn't stick to landing. It reminds me of something uh, someone was once mentioning about that new Hobbit trilogy. There's there's a scene in that in that uh, movie where uh, I think it's during uh, the goblin scene in the mountains where the hobbits like fall all the way down the mountain. Uh, through these caves and stuff like that, and they're just like they're falling, like, you know, forty feet, fifty feet, and like they just keep getting up, and they're okay, and it's fine. And like what that hap- what that the effect of that is like the tension starts to melt away because like it doesn't feel like they're it feels like they're invincible. And in some ways, like the like the climax for me undermines what most of the movie have been setting up, which is that death is very real and very easy. Like a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of characters die in very, uh, uh, simple, straightforward ways. And then we get this crane, cra- train crash where the train cars are flip flopping everywhere. And like they're, everyone's flying through the sky and stuff like that. And every single person somehow manages to walk away from that crash, even though they may die after the crash. Because Ladybug saved them with his luck. <laughs> uh, yeah. Because I because he is very unlucky. He is unlucky enough that he crashes the train. But as the elders set, set up earlier in the movie, his bad luck gives everyone else good luck. So they all miraculously survive the train crash. The train crash doesn't even kill anyone in the, in the village it crashes into. It all is just superficial damage. And that is because of how unlucky he is <laughs> in comparison to everyone else getting lucky. It is set up. It's it's fair, set up and it fair. pays off. Yeah. It yeah, is very I, cartoony. I will grant that. Yeah. <laughs> well, just, I like. I think what I was trying to stumble around with my my thing about you know oh you guys didn't have a handle on it oh you starting to sweat. Greg said it more eloquently with like the tension. The tension's just not there um, in the way that it was earlier on. That, yeah. Yeah, I think there was probably a way of of simplifying that crash a little bit to to. Um, give give that sort of ironic luck thing that uh, Scott was talking about, but not also sort of like completely altering the sort of rules of death around the uh, that the movie had been spending the entire time setting up. Maybe dial the crash back to like a seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead <laughs> yeah. of having it be like a nine point five. Yeah, yeah. Like this looked like this looked like a Marvel crash. It didn't look, need to look like that. I mean, it, it, like imagine that crash if it was like a practical model, and it just like and it just ran in ran off the rails and just like skidded across that town. That would be so cool. 
Funny you should mention practical models. Uh, two interesting notes. Uh, number one, this movie, part of the filming was during the pandemic. And so it was hard for them to find stunt people who could make it to set. They ended up having to do a lot of their own stunts um, while they were doing like fight choreography and stuff. So uh, in a lot of cases, it's the actual cast doing like the chore- the fight choreography. Um, and the fights look great in this movie. Yeah. Like, especially considering we just came off of Elysium at the time that we're recording this. And Elysium has all these really janky, uh, really like quickly edited. Paul Greengrass weirdly style. Paced, yeah. yeah weird, weirdly paced fight scenes, which were hard to follow. And in these fight scenes were the exact opposite. They were, uh, they were given time to breathe. It wasn't like a bunch of quick choppy edits. You could actually see people trading blows like in the frame. It was really well done. Um, the second thing, <clears throat> Uh, is that somebody pointed out that uh, it looks like the movie takes place over a whole night. The, f- the fun, the funny thing is that actual train trip takes about two, two and a half hours. And that's the length of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It yeah does. The, the sun coming up kind of threw me, but I'm like, I creative license give it, it gives it that cyclical beginning, yeah. middle end. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if it took like a day, would it would the train have been basically able to circle Japan? It's not that big of a country. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's going so fast. Speaking of going fast, let's quickly go into the second half where we will fix up uh, what little needs to be fixed up on Bullet Train. In the warring mega towers of a cyberpunk dystopia, bored teenagers use their modified hoverboards to sneak into other dimensions. It's dangerous. It's stupid. It's completely outlawed by the giant corporations that own the entire world. And it's the coolest thing ever. This is Slug Blaster. Brinley is going to use her beam like a grappling hook. Scampion, foam jet right to the center of the disc. A bunch of lightning just sort of crackles around him. This is our chance to put our crew on the map. Yes, pleases me to know that I have done well. At the last possible moment, you fire. Quantum Kickflip. A Slug Blaster actual play podcast. Listen to new episodes every other Wednesday. Welcome back. We are talking Bullet Train. And uh, Greg, you posited the question, who would we replace? And Scott, that sounds like your fix is based on replacing the actor. Well, I have two suggestions for that. Good, because my have, only suggestion is replacing the actor. Yeah. Well, no, it, it is that, but uh, I have two suggestions for an actor Oh, interesting. I have, I have three. So. I, have, I have what I'm going to call my serious suggestion and sure. my off-the-wall suggestion. Okay, okay. Uh, my serious suggestion uh, is we've already got a sexy Ryan in the movie making a cameo. Why not have another sexy Ryan in the movie playing the lead? Ryan Gosling. Uh, oh yeah, he's he's handsome, but he can also uh, he's not afraid to be a goof, which I think works for Ladybug. He's actually got really good physical comedy skills, which I think would work with the more comedic style of fighting that Ladybug brings to the table here. He can definitely hang with the other guys, and importantly, could pass as Aaron Taylor Johnson's twin because there is a plot point where Ladybug has to pass as his twin brother. So I'd say Ryan Gosling could have, could have done this. And I think he would have been very good in this movie. Sure. Uh, do you want to give one of your suggestions before I, no, give I want my... to hear both of yours. And then, okay. Oh, yeah. You'll, you'll see my, you. my silly suggestion. Uh, it's a bit off the wall and it's because it's an older actor. Um, so you'd have to change the plot point with him trying to pass as, as Tangerine's twin brother. Um, Michael Keaton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I think Michael Keaton might have been funny in this role. It would change Ladybug to being someone who's maybe like a little more beaten down and down and out. Uh, not just someone who's had like an unlucky streak, but somebody who's been in the business for a long time and is like kind of on the outs with it. Uh, it would change the dynamic with him and Sandra Bullock, I think, in an interesting way. I think Michael Keaton could hang in this movie. Like, I think he could do it. Uh, physically and just comedically because he has a comedy background. He's got a bit of a career renaissance going on right now. So I think that he would be a big enough name to attach to the movie. It would change the character and it would change the dynamic in the movie a little bit, but I think Michael Keaton could have done it. 
And I would have watched the hell out of it. Yeah. Ryan Gosling is still my serious suggestion. Your serious <laughs> pick? Sweet. Um, interesting. Uh, yeah, I think uh, Brad Pitt, yeah, like I said, is is pretty distracting. I, I don't love him in this role, even though it seems like this was his kind of project. <laughs> I feel bad. Um, so I think you move Brad Pitt to either Sandra Bullock's role. Like if he still, if Brad Pitt still has to be involved, you give him Sandra Bullock's role and you cut Sandra Bullock. Or if you don't want to cut one of the few women in this movie for a guy who has been outed as a domestic abuser, uh, you have him in Michael Shannon's role as White Death. Yeah, that um, would be an interesting switch. It's a lateral move. It's more just like I, I feel bad kicking kicking Brad off this movie entirely. Because <laughs> um, here's. He, he's, I'm going to, and I feel like part of the reason this movie got made was like, it's a Brad Pitt movie. Come, you, you know him. He's familiar. I'm going to, I'm going to tweak your suggestion a little bit. If you are swapping Brad Pitt into Sandra Bullock's role, what about switching Sandra Bullock into Brad Pitt's role? Eh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Just, eh. It's, I don't know. I, th- Sandra I, Bullock. I, I, I had, I had the same thought, Scott, and I, th- I think she would probably crush it. Um, I, it, the other one, and just to, you know, pick a, a very popular choice, uh, I, like I'm sure Margot Robbie could destroy in, in that role as well. So then, yeah. So my, my three picks move Brad Pitt deeper down the bench or cut him. I don't really care. Um, but this lead, uh, is such an opportunity to 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 have this kind of bumbling, beleaguered pacifist who's also hyper violent. The suggestions I have are not just for like Brad Pitt separate the art from the artist reasons, and it's also not some sort of like liberal, you know, like making things has to be true to the thing. But the fact that this is based on a Japanese novel and a bunch of the characters are now played by white people, I feel like is a missed opportunity to cast. Japanese people like you're just I feel like Brad Pitt's here because he's Brad Pitt and they needed a bankable name on the movie but if we don't have that concern then we can put an Asian actor in the lead Um, and I was really trying to find a Japanese American actor who's working today who could crush this role could use a leg up specifically Japanese actors there's there's not a lot in fact the only one that kind of came up is already in this movie Um, so unfortunately (laughs) at least if, if I'd love to hear on Twitter or, or on, on our Discord, if anyone has suggestions of Japanese male actors age 30 to 50 who could go in this role, I would love to know more of them because I'm a little embarrassed. I, I don't have any to pull from, but also maybe there just aren't as many uh, working as, as other um, Asian countries. So perhaps they. all of this to say, I have three other Asian guys I'd love to see in this role. Uh, I think this would be a lot of fun uh, for Simu Liu. Um yeah. We're hot off um, Shang-Chi. This is exactly the kind of movie where he could flex his, flex his acting chops, flex his comedy chops. I think this would have been a real star, additional star-making turn, like a nice follow-up um, to, to Shang-Chi that would have really uh, done his career uh, a lot of good. I will, I will also pause it. Um, mm-hmm. Well, the impetus to put a uh, a Japanese lead in the in the role, Ladybug is a foreigner, so you could just mm-hmm. have someone from another Asian country Great. playing him just as easily as an American. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and like we said, the the author of this book was more than happy to have some Americanized characters. Yeah, to have it a little more diversified. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm okay with this. I'm. I just was like, if Brad Pitt's got to go, what a great chance to put in an Asian actor, not. They shouldn't have done that. They should have put it. It's not a hand, you know, stomp and demand thing. It's more of a just like an opportunity. Uh, so the other uh, pitch I had, this is kind of my main one. This is actually who I would love to have seen uh, would be Lee Jung Jae, uh, the guy from Squid Game. Oh, yeah. 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 He's, he's already kind of got this like in over, you know, Squid Game. He's so bumbling and kind of in over his head and beleaguered. Um, I think he, he could have done a good job with it. And again, great follow. He's popular from Squid Game beloved internationally this would be a yeah, really, really kick and it has kick extensive acting chops for sure yeah. yeah yeah uh and then uh the third guy i had he's my third pick for sure um also in the eternals just like brian tyree henry um would be uh mad dong sock uh who's he's in train to busan he's in eternals uh and i just like that guy i i liked him in train to busan a lot and then was excited to see him in eternals i just want to see him in more things i don't know how he'd do with a role like this because he kind of usually plays more of a meathead um but i like him enough that i love to just see him get a shot so those those are my pitches for someone other than brad pitt um 
not for Brad Pitt's canceled reason and not for you got to have Asian people in Asian written things reasons. Just I think they would have done a better job. Yeah, fair enough. Because you you really can't tinker with the the interwovenness of all the plot details in this thing. Like it really they set out to do something and they nailed it. Yeah. And it's just that one thing of this really neat trick of this weaving the plot. This movie is such a a well-woven tapestry that yanking on any one thread would cause the whole thing to unravel. And trying to like, like initially my thoughts were like, well, we got to give it an about about. We got What's this movie about? What are the themes? What are the ideas? And I, the more I thought about it, it doesn't need them. It's okay. (laughs) It is okay being a plot heavy. Popcorn flick. Popcorn flick. Yeah. doing dense into like the, the the cool thing it's doing isn't commentating on the state of trains in modern society yeah. it's showing you this cool interwoven writing trick um yeah i had a thought of, of this is probably more of a, a lateral move of uh instead of making um ladybug's central theme to be luck i i, I just I felt like the comedy would play better if it was more tapped into his uh, reluctant being a re- reluctantly violent. Like if, like mm-hmm. if he kept, if he was trying his level best not to hurt anyone, but it kind of kept happening anyway. Cause like the seeds of that are all there in, already in the movie where he just sort of, he just happens to run into the Mexican assassin and doesn't really, have much choice and like you could you can alter some of that fight choreography where he's trying to like um end the fight in some sort of stalemate but you know accidentally ends up um killing it and then there's obviously like the stuff of the poison where you can have sort of like it like the zazay beats character get accidentally poisoned by him or something like that you know all that i think that would would have made his um his attempts to be zen make more sense and uh you know because he like just he's he's trying to be a better person but it's just not working out no matter what he does you know he's like i i don't know like again maybe that's a lateral move but i uh, you know i i think that's what i would have preferred yeah you're right the, the seeds of it are there um along with the 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 luck thing and i think it's a stronger character trait it's a it's a funnier reason for things to go haywire yeah um than trying to blame it on some sort of cosmic force other than the luck thing foils the prince who she's always going on about how she has good luck everything's good luck for her yeah 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 i think you almost have to sort of rewrite that a little bit like you say like because everything's so tightly interwoven that like it's pretty hard to to make um tweaks to it without unraveling a bunch of other shit yeah also, I, as we were talking, if we were going to cast a white woman in Brad Pitt's role, uh, Natasha Leone would be my pick. <laughs> but, but that's I my chance to comment that was moments ago. But I did it anyway. <laughs> any other fixes? Any other thing we think this movie? Any notes this movie needs? Oh, I mean, we can we can check to see if the listeners got some. Indeed, yeah. Uh, other than I want to circle back, I wanted a rule of three on assassins showing up, getting their backstory, and dying. Rule of three for comedy, and a little more with uh, uh, the the conductor or the cat, the other guy checking tickets. Um, those are both, I feel like, missed opportunities for more jokes. Yeah, it's it's possible that there was some of that. Maybe I think Greg is right. Maybe some of the conductor stuff hit the cutting room floor because the movie's already pretty long. Yeah, two hour action flick is about my limit. Yeah, <laughs> I like. I prefer yeah. they be ninety minute tight ninety minutes. That's that's the sweet spot. Yeah, the, I think the reason why this one is so long, and again, the reason why a lot of people check out early on is because there's so much the movie needs to set up uh-huh. before it starts, like really getting into it, and yeah. and that's where that like long first thirty minutes comes in, and then it is a tight ninety minute action movie. After that, <laughs> I, I can see if maybe the film's. Um, uh, cadence and uh, you know attitude is maybe rub people the wrong way too. Like I don't know. Like I can see it's, it's got a little. It of could, that, I can like, see it bordering cool into being obnoxious. Yeah, it's uh, like if that if that happened. Like I guess that makes sense, but um, it didn't for me. I was I was on board. Yeah, I think someone in our our Discord compared it to smoking aces or like a lucky number eleven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, it definitely feels like it's cut of that cloth. Speaking of listener comments, we got lots of comments from you. Thank you to everyone who contributed. Uh, you can follow us on social media at I Have Some Notes on Twitter, Facebook. Please, I implore you, join our Discord so that we can talk to you about movies all the time. You don't have to be a patron. Um, it helps. The Discord, but it helps us specifically. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, patron Robin says bullet train is better than I thought it was going to be. The train is kind of incidental to the situation until the ending. It has a strong middle, but the ending is just a mess of escalation. Yeah. The movie keeps ratcheting it up. Uh, every time that it can make a choice that would make things more dangerous for the characters, especially for ladybug, it always chooses to make things more dangerous for him, uh, which is, (laughs) which is fun. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. So good. I did like when he spun the uh, the combination on the briefcase, and it just happened to, to open. That <laughs> because fun. that was the most unlucky thing to happen in that <laughs> yeah, moment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, interesting comment about the, the train being incidental, though. I watched a great uh, YouTube video uh, by a guy named Nando V Movies who talked about the use of trains in superhero and action movies. Um, and I, I don't know that this is entirely incidental, because you've got the close quarters, which is always a part of it. You've got the, like fact that they're sort of stuck and they've only got these one minute windows i love the ticking clock of like the doors at the station are only open for one minute um yeah off yeah, lots yeah, of yeah. time so i don't know that and the train is necessarily incidental and there's the ticking clock because the train is going to a destination and mm-hmm. the destination is not somewhere a lot of people want to go so yeah uh, because when it gets there, they need to have the money, they need to have the sun, <laughs> and <laughs> and things keep going wrong, making it harder and harder for them to, like, do the thing they need to do when they get to the destination, so. Uh, Tack says, ugh, another movie from the bowels of my Netflix queue. Let's see if I could even be bothered to finish it. That movie was great. I'm so glad I finally watched it. Why are you jerks rewriting it? Well, mm because it got middling reviews and we thought it would be at our sweet spot also we are not the movie jerks that's a different podcast (laughs) Um, uh, there isn't much wrong so tech continues there isn't much wrong so all I can offer is a few optional tweaks tighten up the second half the movie needs to be short and punchy Uh, would agree there tech I think we commented on that a moment ago second point it would be nice if the movie remained a clockwork farce to the end instead of allowing the main characters to team up with a plan well interesting it, it is a clockwork farce up until it up until the reveal that there's somebody masterminding everything mm-hmm. and at that point the surviving characters on the train realize that they're all about to face a big bad and they can do it together and maybe win, or they can all die separately. And they make the rational choice in that moment. (laughs) (laughs) Just, uh, just because I'm going to play, I'm just going to reveal that I'm I'm maybe a dumb dumb here. Like what is clockwork farce referring to? Oh, uh, a farce is, uh, a story where you have multiple intersecting um, story beats that are constantly butting up against one another. Um, so you, it's, it's the traditional people keep walking into the same room through different doors and catching each other in compromising positions because they don't know what's going on. Um, and that happens a lot in this movie. The middle part of this movie is a farce with people walking in on something, not understanding what's going on. A fight breaks out. Um, someone's trying to explain this doesn't, this isn't what it looks like. A fight breaks out. It It is a farce through the middle part of the movie, right up until the white death shows up. And then it becomes like a team up, against Thanos basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can see where tack is coming from, where he wants more of that middle part where it's like people walking in the room at the wrong time and catching an assassin about to assassinate someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just hadn't heard the word, the term, the phrase clockwork first before. But yeah, yeah. And thank I think you. I, I think, I think it, he yeah, refers he means to just, Oh God. Sorry. Yeah. We're, uh, I think he means clockwork in the sense that it's just, ve- it's very precise. It's precisely gotcha. put together. Yeah. Gotcha. You, yeah, you come in at that compromising moment at the precise time. Gotcha. Tack continues. Three, just pick one dramatic ending and one joke to go out on. Brevity <laughs> is not a river in Egypt. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's this movie has like three endings, but they're all okay. <laughs> 
and finally, have Pitt's therapy proselytization work on the girl at the very end, just one time out of the blue, and inexplicably, it inexplicably 100% works, uh, and end the movie there. I don't know. I think she deserved to get hit by a truck. <laughs> I didn't yeah. catch it on the first time, but reading Wikipedia, it was being driven by Lemon, apparently. Yeah, yeah it's in the post credit scene. That's the post credit scene. I didn't stick around for the post-credit scene. <laughs> oh, in the post-credit scene, you find out he survived jumping off the train, uh, flagged down a truck on the road, which turned out to be a tangerine truck. He thought it was very apropos. And then he catches them in the in the town as he's driving through and purposefully runs her over. Oh, cool. <laughs> and basically is like, that's for tangerine. <laughs> I see. I almost like it better how I had read it because her whole thing is like, She's like, I'm good luck. I'm good luck. I'm good luck. And then right at the end, she has that bad luck um, was how I interpreted that. But yeah, her luck ran yeah. out. Yeah, her luck ran out. And yeah. and um, Ladybug's luck turned around. But uh, that guy did it. It is also valid. I don't have strong feelings. One or another. Yeah. Uh, in the book, I think Lemon also dies, actually. So. Uh, Andrew Craig says, I really enjoyed Bullet Train personally. Not sure what I would really change. Yeah, it's I mean, we didn't have a lot of fixes for this one. Again, it got middling reviews and we were like, that's perfect for us. And then we all watched it. and We're like, oh, no, why did this get middling reviews? <laughs> I, I want, like we were talking about that kind of that attitude, that kind of very stylish kind of manga attitude. And I wonder if a lot of just like the kind of movie going public who will go see a movie based on the actor in the lead role and not any kind of like respect for the, the the auteur vision or because of the premise it's more just like i i like when the rocks in movies i go see the movies with the rock in them um if if maybe this movie just got a lot of like you know brad pitt types <laughs> who are just like here to see it. but he doesn't he doesn't have that kind of draw he's not a he's not a is he, is he one of those kind of Hollywood actors where people will just go to see him the way they'll like they might go see like a jim carrey movie or a, he a definitely Depp movie? He definitely was at one time. And I will say this is a very different kind of movie than you would expect to see Brad Pitt show up mm -hmm. in. And I think that might play into That's where it a I was little going, bit. Yeah. People show up expecting it to be like a Brad Pitt action movie and it's kind of not. Yeah. And I can see why that might be a little off-putting to some people where they're like this isn't the movie I expected. And yeah. sometimes having your expectations subverted is a lot of fun. I think we all went in with low expectations and we're all happily surprised. But if you went in with an expectation of the kind of Brad Pitt movie this was going to be, you you might have walked out feeling a little burned by this one. Mm -hmm. I can I get that. I think I can see why that might be the case for some people. I think I think his appeal is more in his uh, charm um with then whatever what, whatever role that he's yeah. being given. Like he he's played a lot of different uh, characters like he's he's just as charming as a big weirdo and 12 monkeys as he is as uh you know um an imposing um scary guy in uh what's that uh glorious bastards yes exactly uh aaron comments you have to recast brad pitt to fix this movie you can't have a guy who's in court disputing he beat the shit out of his wife in a movie where he's saying jokey lines about being in therapy for anger issues. It killed the entire movie for me. If you enjoyed it, totally fine. I don't want to make anyone feel bad. I just couldn't separate the art from the artist with this uh, one with that dialogue. So, yeah, yeah, it's like Greg said off the top because it it walked up to the line of his real life issues in a weird way. Yeah, it made it kind of blurred it. Yeah. And, this is yeah. <laughs> this is like the like the Cosby issue where it's like his whole thing was being like America's dad and like you just like you can't reconcile like those two things you know mm -hmm. yeah uh, yeah it's like in some cases it's pretty difficult to yeah. to separate the art from the artist so yeah also, also train derailments are a touchy subject these days so I wonder if <laughs> yeah that's fair didn't help either yeah <laughs> <laughs> this movie did not play well in Palestine, Ohio. Yeah. Uh, I think for me, I, I was a lot like you, uh, Liam, where like I, I knew that something was going on, but I didn't know the full, full details until after I had watched the movie. So I, I wonder how much, how different it would have felt had I watched the movie knowing what I know now. So, yeah. 
So yeah, uh, that's been Bullet Train. Thank you uh, to everyone again who who commented, our listeners, or just the folks who follow us, who support us on Patreon, who join us on the Discord. We appreciate your interaction with us. So once again, Facebook.com slash I have some notes. I have at I have some notes on Twitter. Um, or just find us and check out our link tree. Uh, and wherever it is you're listening to this podcast episode specifically, please give us a subscription, a rate, a review. We appreciate it. And you can also, of course, head over to our Patreon. We've mentioned it multiple times this episode already, but uh, just one last time, patreon.com slash I have some notes. If you'd like to throw us a little financial support, we do really appreciate it. We especially appreciate our newest patrons, Robin, Sharon, Amanda, and Josh. Thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts for your support. Yeah. Uh, this movie had a lot of interlocking, interesting plot threads, but what about a movie that had a lot of interlocking universes? Uh, we're taking on Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness in two weeks. Also significantly features a train at one point. Ah, mm-hmm. <laughs> also true. Oh, no, that was Spider-Man. Never mind. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Never, Never mind. mind. Cut that out. I'm sure in one of the universes there's a train. Yeah. Until then, I've been your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. Keep watching the skies. Choo-choo.